Hello, thanks for joining us on the Mole Valley Farmers podcast. Today we're talking about biodiversity. It's a term like sustainability that gets used far and wide and pulls in lots of different things. But what does it mean for agriculture and for us all on farm and on the land? This subject is just the type of conversation that led us to create this podcast as we wanted to bring together the best minds and allow them to impart their knowledge to the rest of us. And that's the beauty of these conversations. You'll hear something and it'll fire up your imagination for what you could achieve. But before we get into exploring biodiversity with Professor Simon Potts from Reading University, could I please ask you a favour? Whatever platform you're listening to us today, Spotify, Amazon Music, RSS, and we're now on Apple Podcasts, I know we've made it, please subscribe to us. We post a pod every fortnight or so on issues that are important to our farmer shareholders, members and the wider agricultural community. It would be much appreciated. Anyway, our biodiversity chat is coming next. Welcome, gentlemen, to the Mole Valley Farmers podcast. Simon, Richard and Andy with us today. Let's just go round this virtual room that we've got together. Let's start with you, Simon. Just introduce yourself, please. Hi, good to see everybody. Uh, My name is uh, Simon Potts. I am working in the School of Agriculture at Reading University, and I specialise in biodiversity on farmland. I'm Richard Anscombe. Uh, I'm part of Trinity Ag Tech, and we've got a natural capital software product that helps farmers understand natural capital and, importantly, for this podcast at Biodiversity. Thanks, Richard. And representing the home team, Andy Adler. Yeah, I'm Andy Adler. I'm a, um, one of the vets at Mulva, uh, Mulcare Farm Vets, which is part of uh, Mole Valley Farmers. Um, and I guess I've got an interest in biodiversity and, um, and asked Richard and Simon whether they'd be interested in talking about it. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Andy. As I say, welcome, gentlemen. Let's kick off then. Why is it? Why is biodiversity becoming more important to the UK government and to population? Let's just start this ball rolling about biodiversity. Who wants to go first? Well, I'm I'm happy to to jump in. Um, Biodiversity is a vital ingredient in our food production. Um, The reason being is so much of our food depends on, you know, beneficial um, insects, things like pollinators that pollinate crop and uh, natural enemies that predate on the pests on crop and the soil microbiology, all of that, if we get that right, underpins all our production. So I think it's indispensable, actually, as part of modern farming. If I was talking to um, to a farmer, um, I'd be saying, well, you know, healthy farmland, um, of which healthy soil is an important part, um, is really crucial for healthy crops and healthy animals which will maximise your yield and profit. So it's about having a healthy business. So I think you know, healthy farmland equals healthy business, profitable business, and um, biodiversity in the soil, the bugs, the insects, etc., is crucial in giving you um, that healthiness within your soil and therefore your farmland. Good points, Richard. And uh, Andy, then from the sort of veterinary perspective... Well, I think from a veterinary perspective, for me, a lot of this is around diversity of systems, and diversity of systems are often more resilient. And I think if we if we head into a a period of climate change, resilience is going to be very important. And biodiversity can bring that resilience into a farming system, as Richard and Simon talked about. 
Um, but I think also, we've got to be honest, that biodiversity is great for mental health and, and actually getting out, uh, out in nature and actually understanding what nature does. And I think that's a really important thing in, in a world where people are a bit more stressed than they might have been once before. And, and part of that is contact with nature. And I think nature is very important. That restorative power. So let's start with a biggie then. Do we have a biodiversity crisis in the UK or is this a problem in areas with rapid population growth? Let's throw that one your way, Simon. No, that's, that's a great question. And yes, we do have a biodiversity crisis and it does actually impact on us all. And the biodiversity crisis is increasingly recognised and we're losing many of our kind of, you know, iconic wildlife species are under pressure. Uh, and also a lot of kind of species that quite often are overlooked and maybe not so loved by the public, things like things like earthworms and some of our beetles and spiders, which actually do an incredibly important job in helping, you know, make farms productive and also ensuring our food security, actually. So it's, it's a biodiversity crisis across the board for the iconic wildlife and for the hardworking organisms on our farms. It's quite hard in the UK to see that biodiversity crisis at times because I think we look outside especially in the rural areas and we, we, we see, see green grass and we see see nature thriving in some respects but um, I got the privilege last year of going over to Ireland actually to see some friends where they had a wildfire meadow which hadn't been cut for 20 years and by golly did I then see some bi biodiversity of that wildfire and I was like oh I'd, I'd never seen that and, and that was quite an eye-opener for me. Um, and I think uh, I've talked to lots of farmers and people now talk about, you know, 20 years ago when you drove around, there was an awful lot of insects on your car windows. And, and nowadays you get hardly even know. I'm sure part of that is technology and better cars, but it's also partly less insects out there. And and, and so it's hard to see this stuff with shifting baselines, I find. Um, um, but if you look at the numbers, I think, and I don't want to quote Simon here, but it's something like 20% decrease in biodiversity in the last 20 or 30 years. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly it varies between you know diff different types of organisms. One of the tough things is, is, is some of that biodiversity loss is quite hidden, quite cryptic. So many of the common species are getting even more common. So things like, you know, meadow browns, which are very common species across the whole of the, the UK. Um, but actually we're losing more of the rare species. So we may have lots of numbers, but it's the diversity, the number of varieties is often going down. So you might take a nice walk in the countryside and think, ah, plenty of butterflies and bees, but we're seeing a lot more of the common ones and those rare ones, some of which have really important roles, um, they're disappearing. If you look at how much of the UK land is used for agriculture, it's about 70%. So it's, it's key. If 70% of the UK land is used for agriculture, then that farmed environment um, is a massively important part of the whole ecosystem for our plants and our wildlife species. It's not something that happens in the countryside that a lot of people don't live in. And, you know, a lot, a lot of our population is urban, but, you know, that 70% of the land is farmed. Therefore, it it's, has a, a huge importance and a huge important role to play. Um, in the health of our ecosystem and the plants and the wildlife. So, Richard, you'd really describe that then as a as a win win situation. Yes, I mean, you know, we've got we've got a us involved in in agriculture have got a really important role to play, and I think what you've seen over uh, recent years and and a variety of reasons, I think farmers looking at the, the health of their soil and 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 how that has degraded, probably because of some short term farmer decisions over the years. Um, and then listening to to what's going on 
and the messages coming from society and consumers about really wanting to understand UK farming and wanting to understand where their food come from and the effect of that on the environment. I think there's a, um, there is a win-win for farmers saying, look, you know, we're custodians of this land. Um, the, the health of our soil affects the health of our business, as we've already talked about. Um, and the, in the opportunity for farmers to em embrace everybody that lives in, in this wonderful country of ours and open the doors and open the understanding between farming and what they're doing and uh, everybody else, as it were, um, because you know, farmers are making making a difference. They are changing. They are looking at fertilizer use and applications, um, and, and they're on with looking at the impact of biodiversity and habitat loss. Here we're kind of at, at three key topics, aren't we? Because as soon as we start talking about um, issues that do involve farming, clearly involve farming, but farmers may think, oh, what's the cost? What's the cost going to be? So really we're thinking about how can farmers be involved in this biodiversity issue? How do they balance being involved with also feeding people, which is a crucial, crucial thing, and also feeding the animals? And so what are the benefits to the farmers by increasing their biodiversity on the farm? If we kind of take those three as a whole, because they're all kind of interlinked, aren't they? You know, for farmers, how can they be involved for everyone's benefit? And, and to be fair, you know, I, I, I agree, Seth, and, and it's that tension. I mean, when I talk to farmers about biodiversity, the, the tension between food production, biodiversity and carbon, I think, is is sometimes what's out there. And, and, and I think there's a lot of farmers who are perceiving that there's lots of different messages coming from DEFRA at the moment around need to create food, fit, 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 uh, resilience of, of food importance of biodiversity and the importance of, of, of carbon management. And I think, Simon, you're, you're the guy with all the knowledge here, and, and I'd be really interested to see how you view that tension and why why you don't think it's such a big deal and how farmers can manage that piece. Well, that, that's a great point, and, and there's, there's so much information and advice out there, and sometimes it, it does frame biodiversity and food production as being intention or a conflict, but actually there's really powerful evidence showing that biodiversity should be an integrated part of sustainable production. And quite often, if you get your biodiversity right, the uplift you might get in, say, crop production or the quality of produce can more than offset the investment in producing some bio biodiversity-friendly habitats, for instance. I'll give a concrete example. So we did a lot of work with some um, apple growers in Kent, and we looked at their quality of the apples and the, and the kind of yield every year. And there was a shortfall and they weren't getting all their apples into the top commercial grade. And it turns out is because the pollination was a little bit substandard. So what they did, they put in some flowery areas, some habitats, just in some corners of the orchard, and they managed their boundary features to produce more flowers. And the pollinators moved in. They pollinated the apples and the uplift in commercial grading more than paid for the cost of putting the flowers in the first place. So it can pay for itself. And we did the calculation just for UK apple production because there weren't enough pollinators was five million pounds a year they were missing out on. And the fix was just to get the biodiversity right on your orchards. And the same applies to many other farming systems as well. The upfront cost, there is a bit, but actually in the longer term, it should more than pay for itself. So there should actually not be such conflict. And I mean, we work with an awful lot of 
livestock farmers, beef, sheep, dairy. Have you got any interesting examples for livestock farmers and grasslands? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit more difficult to monetize it, but we do know that if you get your biodiversity right, you get lots of kind of predators of pest species. Um, so, you know, if you can get to your kind of areas around your fields and your boundary features like hedges right, you can get things like more beetles, more spiders, and these can keep down some of the pest species like some of the flies, for instance. Um, we can't put a, a monetary value on that, but for sure, it's a substantial contribution. It's interesting. I, um, I saw some evidence last year around use of um, ivermectins on cattle. And and actually, if you stop using them, they've got a paper saying that grass growth around those pads actually increased by 14% when the dung beetles were allowed to take away the manage that dung, which I thought was quite a large number. I have to admit, I was quite a surprise that bringing that biodiversity back into fields because dung beetles um, get killed by ivermectins that was quite a big deal and and actually i thought that was quite an interesting example of how increasing biodiversity in, in livestock farming can support more grass and therefore more food for the cows it's a good point andy i was on a dairy farm at the weekend and the farming friend of mine had just introduced some parasitic wasps to uh target his fly problem I mean, if farmers are, are looking at that, would you also include that, Simon, as, as an idea of biodiversity management from farmers? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, farmers are good at growing things and actually growing plants that can support good beneficial insects like these parasitic wasps, like pollinating bees. Um, it can be done. And there are some really good kind of guides out, out there on how to do that. And you don't need a huge amount of space, and it doesn't need to be in conflict with your main production areas. They should actually sit side by side. We could come in here, um, chaps, with uh, helping farmers understand, well, where am I now? Um, and what changes could I practically make on farm um, to improve my biodiversity position? So with Trinity Agtech and, and Sandy, our software product, um, you know, we've already discussed about how beneficial it can be to farmers to improve the biodiversity and, um, some really good examples we've just shared. Uh, but one of the things that I think, a you know, a farmer would want practically is to say, well, okay, where am I now? Um, and what practical things on the farms might I do to improve my biodiversity? And like a lot of things in life, how can I measure it? So, um, you know, we can certainly come in there and say, here's where you are, here's some things that you could do, and if you do those, here's the changes and improvements to biodiversity that you could get on the farm. And and also you linking that into um uh you know the financial aspect of what that would mean for the farm as well. So, you know, we can help we can help with the sort of practical where am I and what could I do? If I was being Mr Cynical Farmer out there, of which we don't have that many at Mole Valley Farmers among our farmer shareholders, I'm sure. But um, if they were saying, well, where's the science? Can you prove it? How robust is this if I'm going to embark on this biodiversity journey? What would we be saying to them? And that's a, that's a good challenge. I mean, the great thing about the Sandy software from, from Trinity AgTech is it is actually science-led. So the knowledge that went into that came from more than 30 UK experts in farming and biodiversity. And it took the best available information and evidence and it brought it together to kind of really simplify the kind of set of options a farmer might have. And, and, and the nice thing about Sandy is it really puts the farmer in the driving seat. So 
they have a particular sort of farm and they're very keen you know, to promote, say, pollinators because they grow fruit, then they can plan for that and it'll tell them where and when and what sort of options they can have and what the likely impact of that is. And they can kind of play around in, let's say, a virtual space and look at different things that would suit their farm. Because every farm is different, every farm has starting conditions which differ, and every farmer will have a preference for what they would or would not like to do. And Sandy is perfect for doing that. More Valley Farmers is owned by farmers and proud to trade with a cooperative ethos. Our shareholders are at the heart of everything we do, and we work with them to improve productivity, profitability and sustainability. Being a farmer shareholder brings many great benefits. You automatically earn loyalty points on essential farm inputs, including compound feeds, blends, minerals, fertiliser and new for 2023, selected total crop performance products and milk replacers. The loyalty points bonus scheme earned farmer shareholders nearly £300,000 in the last year, on top of over £740,000 secured by farmer shareholders through our retail discounts. You'll also get other exclusive farmer shareholder offers through the year. The Mole Valley Farmers newsletter posted to your door each month and, as a shareholder, you get voting rights at the annual AGM and have a say in your business. We have a farmer shareholder first approach at Mole Valley Farmers and we believe by working together, we are stronger together. For more information and to join us as a farmer shareholder, visit moleonline.com slash farmer shareholder. Mole Valley Farmers committed to UK agriculture. So, Simon, when I hear a lot about biodiversity and, and sandy emissions, you, you hear an awful lot about land sharing and land sparing. And, and I get the impression this is taking a slightly more global view, but how does sandy or how do these sort of things help with farmers decide whether they should be land sparing, which is all around my understanding is it's all about intensification of some bits, but then living, leaving other bits alone, and learn sparing. Well, I got this over all the way around, and learn sharing, which is less intensive agriculture, but sharing with life. Can you explain a little bit more about it? Because I get confused when people start talking about it myself. It is confusing. There's a lot of very strong views around that. I mean, from a kind of scientific perspective, uh, I would say both of those approaches are good or even a mix it's not like you should do all land sharing which is where you grow let's say food but less intensively so there's room for wildlife to share that space or you say i'm going to land uh, spare so i'm going to focus on really intensive parts of my uh, farm and set aside other places just for wildlife actually it should be for the individual farmer should decide both our routes to promote and help biodiversity you shouldn't be pushed one way or the other. It's like what works for your farm and what kind of space do you have to be able to do that? And actually a combination of both is actually probably ideal. So Richard, having that conversation with farmers is a way of explaining it through to them, isn't it, uh, directly if, if they were to uh, to make contact? I think there's nothing like having something that's, as, as Simon said, got a lot of really good thinking and science behind it, yet is... Uh, designed for a farmer to use in practice, um, either themselves or alongside their their advisor, um, and, and both of those situations, um, you know, pertain um, to say, okay, you know, what am I doing now? Let's put all of this information in, uh, and if you're putting it in to to calculate your carbon sequestration, what am I emitting? What am what what am I sequestering? How do I move that dial forward? 
in capturing that, you're also going to be informing biodiversity improvements, water improvements, um, you know, the efficiency of, of nitrogen use. So all of which, if you put all of that together in the round, equals better soil health. And as we've talked about before, you know, there's a direct correlation into, into the health of the, the crops and the business and the livestock. Um, so we can give you a, a very comprehensive um, set of uh, pathways to say, here's where I am, here's what I've got, and, and here's where I might be going and how, and, and what that would look like um, across the whole farm, including, um, as, as Andy said, you know, the land sparing and the land sharing, um, and, and a very practical way of, of getting some actionable things that you can, you can then go and do on the farm so that you can turn the theory of you know I, I understand i want to improve biodiversity I, I get the fact that that's good for my farms for my soil and therefore my profitability um but what things can i now go and do and and this is where the product can come in with practical practical um implicant implementations based on really good science you're mentioning a bit about nitrogen obviously that there's the phosphorus elements have to be controlled but you mentioned there about water so is managing the water quality as well is that just as important for biodiversity water's uh, absolutely essential and um, some might say it's the most essential part of a of a healthy person a healthy plant a healthy healthy animal and and a healthy environment isn't it and if we've got improved water quality um then then that touches every aspect of the ecosystem of life that we live in, um, including the health of um, of those uh, bugs, the beasts, the flowers, etc. That, that that go towards creating a healthy farming environment. Um, as well, of course, I think um, you know, water's about how do we supply healthy water to the population as well, um, and a lot of that water will flow upland and down and through farmland before it eventually reaches the rivers and it reaches the water companies so again farming's got a um, a really important role to play you know biodiversity has a role to play in that as well so so biodiversity on farm can help with managing water so i mean we've had issues of extreme weather with heavy rain and having healthy soils a good microbial community and good soil structure that goes hand in hand with good below ground biodiversity can help that water be retained so it doesn't run so quickly off the land. Um, also having buffer strips around fields with healthy plant communities that can help having things like uh, trees and tree lines. All of those can help the kind of management of water, especially when we're getting these more frequent kind of heavy downpours as we, you know, as climate changes. So biodiversity can both benefit and, you know, control the water issues as well. So it's, it's another win, I would say. Yeah, certainly music to the ears of uh, our agronomists here at Mole Valley Farmers who uh, love talking about soil health. Um, just before we sort of move on to how farmers perhaps should view themselves on on this uh, discussion, can we talk about net zero, carbon net zero and the need for biodiversity? Is there any conflict there between achieving net zero and being able to improve our biodiversity? There is, but there shouldn't be actually. I mean, it's like you know, the tension between biodiversity and food production that can be avoided and it should be harmonious actually and it's the same with carbon and biodiversity um you know locking up carbon in, in trees or, or hedgerows you know that's a great way forward 
choosing the right species of trees to plant, for instance, on a farm can be fantastic for biodiversity. And, you know, there's some species that are always going to support biodiversity, things like cherry, hawthorn, hazel, rowan, chestnut. All of these can support a lot of wildlife and they can also play an important role with carbon. So we're really looking for these multiple wins across, you know, food production is critical, but we can get carbon and we can get biodiversity benefits hand in hand. Which is great, Simon. And, and I guess, how, what's going to be the tricks to getting farmers to talk about this and, and be more open to some of this stuff? I think, you know, I get the impression um, with social media and stuff, there's lots of misinformation and disinformation uh, there. How have you, um, how have you approached farmers in your role at the University of Reading and, and to think about some of these things in a, in a, in a, in a, in a different way to what they may have done for the past 40 years? Yeah, and that's, that's a very good question. And, and, and we use a few different sort of pathways to engage with farmers. So getting the science right is critical. And one of the key steps is asking the farming community what evidence, what are the questions they want answering. So before we go out and we do any surveys or any experiments, we want to understand what they need from us. And quite often that includes not only, you know, doing the science, looking at the biodiversity, but what is the cost of setting it up and what are the potential benefits quantified from that? Uh, and we find, you know, doing experiments and then setting up a demonstration plot or a demonstration farm is a great way to invite farmers to come and look at what we've done, get, you know, ask us questions and, you know, provide them with the information afterwards. And, you know, another good way is to talk to farm advisors and we've produced some fact sheets and, you know, we've promote things like Sandy as a tool because that's a great way of navigating through the complex information. So I think it's getting the science right underpins this, but then making sure that the science is is answering the question that the farmers have. And that's really important as well. And I saw that last year we went, I went to, well, Mole Valley sponsored the Down to Earth um, event uh, last year with doing it this year, in fact, with Trinity Ag and and one of the things that we saw last year when we were up in Gloucester was um, some agroforestry going on in the fields. So they had lines of um, trees, should know exactly what type of trees, but I can't quite remember, uh, which they were using to increase grass growth and create some shade um, and increase the amount of carbon in, in the soil, which was quite interesting. And, and that farmer seemed to be very successful. And this year, down to earth is doing a couple of other different things, um, looking at uh, intensive sort of regenerative farm down to earth and, and another uh, regenerative farm in the north. So there are some interesting examples out there, Simon. And, and I think getting farmers to have a look at those examples and realise that those farms are being successful is probably one of the, one of the key things that we need to be doing in order to get that message out there and, and show how easy maybe it could be or uh rather than making these things difficult because i get the impression that the government subsidies these days are encouraging farmers to really think about some of these things but in a different way to what subsidies used to be you know you used to get subsidies for owning land or owning animals and now you're having to to do some public good for some private good for public public money for private goods basically um and i think that's sort of changing changing the, the way we think about some of this stuff i think that's a really good example. So, I mean, the biodiversity is a public good and, and farmers are fantastic custodians of the wider environment and, and we need them to be able to do that. And I think one of the one of the great things we can do is show that biodiversity is not only public good, but it's a private good and getting those two to align. So there is a direct benefit to the farmer as well as a wider benefit to the public. 
Uh, and again, it's it's about simple, clear guidance on how to do that. It shouldn't be in conflict with normal farm practices. It can be integrated in. It's a question of good knowledge. And that, that's a good good part of the next sort of thing I think here, is, is what's your advice, Simon, for, I mean, Mole Valley's got vets, agronomists, nutritionists, and various other people going up farm drives. How should we be engaging in some of these discussions with farmers um, and supporting farmers to make these decisions of these processes easy? That's a good question. I think it's it's all about communication. And, you know, there are good resources uh, out there and there's good kind of knowledge to be shared with, with farmers. Um, it's making sure that they're aware of the benefits. And, you know, if they are keen to pursue it, point them in the right direction of what they can do practically. Um, you know, a real kind of how-to kind of guide is, is useful. And again, Sandy is a, a great way of sort of planning what you might want to do on a farm for carbon or biodiversity. Um, it's really just keeping that conversation going because you, you're right, there is a kind of a shift to incorporate biodiversity and other environmental benefits into farming more and more. And the government's definitely moving that direction. But it's not something that's going to be like an instant change. So different farmers are on different you know parts of that journey. Um, but all you know, everyone needs to move towards kind of more environmental benefits, and it's it's helping everybody along that journey move forward. Whether you're just starting it or you're already quite a long way through it, you know, obviously Mole Valley, it's a rural retailer. Should there be more conversations, even in store as well, that when people come in, you know, looking for things because we sell, you know, wild bird seed things like that. You know, is that again all part of a chance to interact with people to try to shift the dial on this? Yeah, I think Seth, that was. I think there, there, there's a constant piece here. Is is we've all guys in the stores have got lots of people coming up with lots and lots of information, and I think this whole knowledge piece and 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 being aware of what's going on and and part of this conversation is increasing awareness to our farmer shareholders and increasing awareness to anyone who listens to this podcast. Alongside this podcast, will We'll write an article to go into into the newsletter. So again, we could increase our awareness and knowledge. You know, Mole Valley farmers already will sell lots of timber products for fencing, which which enables. You know, um, they, we, we're involved in trees. We're involved in um, bird bird seeds. Um, and then we've got a whole team of agronomists who are looking at multi species lays and looking at different ways in which we can support farming. On, on both a land sharing and land sparing side. So from a land sparing point of view, how can we support farmers to intensify the land they lose so that they can actually give some land off to, to support biodiversity and also some of the lower input farmers, how we can support biodiversity on those farms. So we're in a, a really interesting place to support farmers. But but for me, I think Simon's absolutely right. It's all about the knowledge. It's all about finding practical solutions out there so that actually we can make these decisions easy uh, with 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 some good examples of where it's worked effectively. You're in a great position, Andy, aren't you? With the footfall, with all of your not only not you know with all of your um, stores, um, and and the amount of um, farmers that you communicate with and that are members, and I think you're in a, you're in a great position. You you said you know practical options. Farmers will want to look at the practicality, won't they? And you, I think you're in a great position to pull this all forward and say. You know, no matter what type of farm you have within the Mole Valley uh, community, um, there's always going to be practical options to support that biodiversity at a no cost uh, to production on the farm, at, at profitably on the farm. Um, and that's key knowledge that you're in a great place to disseminate. And 
uh, you know, Simon and Trish Adkett can help that with the tools and the knowledge that we can, that we have built in, um, that can be part of that communication. As Simon said, communicating that's um, really important and and practical, you know, pra practical options of what you do on farm, what you can leave the store and go and think about and do. That was the key for me, Richard. Is 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 getting those practical things and, and actually having someone like Simon here giving us examples, practical examples of where biodiversity can support productivity and um, become very important. We are obviously being transparent. We work with AgTech there with you, Richard. Um, obviously, well-respected organisation. Farmers, when they're looking for this, they'll be perhaps Googling after hearing this podcast, trying to find out a bit more and you know, I've heard some descriptions that the market out there is a little bit like the Wild West with um, lots of different things being offered. What would be the kind of best advice to farmers, though, if they were looking to go into this world in more depth? Um, you know, we've seen clickbait everywhere, haven't we? I'm sure there's a million or one schemes out there that might not necessarily be the best for farmers. But uh, how would they sort the wheat from the chaff? Let, let me just go back on one, you know, the, the Wild West comment that you made, Seth, and and, and you might have heard or, or have heard out there. Um, it, it, people tend to, when they talk about this whole area, they tend to go straight to thinking about um, carbon and carbon trading, which is where that comment comes from. And actually, if farmers want to trade carbon, then, um, which is where the Wild West comments come from, getting the best absolute scientifically based uh, and the broadest and deepest understanding of what your natural capital assets on the farm are and therefore what your improvements are that you may then turn into a tradable carbon credit. Um, all of that with Sandy is at the absolute highest level. It's accredited um, uh, International Panel on Climate Change and ISO standards. So you know, I would say if you're going to go down and look at trading carbon, um, use, use the best and most scientifically valid tool that there is which is what we provide but it isn't it isn't automatic that you should go and, and look at trading carbon that we would say there's two elements here one really understand the natural capital on your farm that we've just talked about and we're looking through a biodiversity lens on this conversation understand the assets that you've got you know the, the on the farm the quality of the soil and um, the biodiversity the water etc and once you've got that understanding and you've put in how you're farming, you know, how you put your crops in, how you look after animals, your permanent grassland and what that sequesters, you we can come out with a with two things. One, this is where you are at now as a farm in terms of your net sequestration. But really crucially, these are things that you can do on your farm to improve your net zero position. So it's it doesn't just stop at here's a figure. It's like, here's a figure, and now here's some things you could go and do. And in doing those, you will improve the biodiversity and the health of your farm, as we've just talked about. And I think it's valid to stop there. However, if you then want to think about trading carbon, which is where your Wild West comet came in, it's not the Wild West if you're using a good tool like we've got, because you're, you're using the best evidence to then offer that carbon trade into the market. That sounded persuasive, Richard. That sounded good. <laughs> and, and Richard, I've, we're coming towards the end. I was really interested in asking you, Simon, I was sitting here thinking, you know, Simon, 
you've spent a career working in biodiversity and you must have seen quite a lot of changes, I'm guessing, since you were a student. Um, what, what would you view as success over the next five to eight years? And if it was sort of getting towards 2030, what would you see as being successful and a successful agricultural industry, which is taking this seriously and, and getting the all benefits it could have? I'd like to see, I would say by 2030, the majority of UK farmers of just planning biodiversity as part of their wider business. So it's not something that they feel they need to add into. It would just be a core part of their thinking. I want to make sure my holding is climate resilient. I want to make sure I've got good biodiversity on my farm, making my contribution to carbon. And all of that, hand in hand, would being really productive. Um, I think it's a shift in just, you know, everybody thinking every day that biodiversity is something to consider. It is almost a, a legitimate agricultural input. It's not just something that we like to look at. It's not just something that, you know, need to do because it's a public good. It's just part of modern farming. And I think we're, we're well on the way to starting that journey. Uh, and I would hope, yeah, by 2030, it would just be a kind of a core part of thinking. Let's look forward to that day, I think, Simon. I think, that, I think increasingly you talk to farmers who are thinking about this stuff and, and not quite sure. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe we're hitting a tipping point where the likes of... Um, we, we're doing podcasts on this for farmers, and, and so maybe this is a tipping point, and, and we can get to that. I mean, I like the idea of biodiversity just becoming a, a normal agri-input, agri and I think that's a really interesting challenge to the industry there to, to make that so and, and, and to think about that as, as we go forward. No, great point, Andy. And just finally, before we wrap this up, Simon, Richard, one thing, one thing that somebody listening to this right now could walk away and say, right, I'm going to do that, what, what would it be? I would say biodiversity is directly related to the profitability of your farming business and, and your resilience. So go and understand it and look at the options practically that you could take on farm to improve your biodiversity. Um, for me, it would be in the next year, go out get a bit more knowledge on biodiversity and do something practical on the ground. Uh, I think all the tools are out there. I think it's just that willingness to take that first step and it should be one of many steps. Great. Thank you very much, Simon. And uh, for you, Andy, the, we'll give you the final word on this topic for uh, our farmer shareholders, our members at, at Mole Valley. Such interesting points there being made by Simon and Richard. Yeah, superb. And I think we just need to think about how we enable biodiversity to be an agricultural input as similar to nitrogen, phosphorus, um, food. And if we can achieve that so that we're actually talking to farmers about biodiversity on a regular basis and enabling the countryside to come to life and to get back to some of the life that was in the countryside maybe 30 or 40 years ago, um, then we would have been really, really successful. You know, can we see some more interesting water meadows out there? Can we see... Um, can we see lots of different types of butterflies out there? And can we see increases in bird species? And I think that was the sort of thing that would enable us to, to really say that we are delivering a land for the country and not just for food production, which would be great. Perfect. Was there anything else from anybody that you wanted to include before we uh, wrap it up? So I guess um, one of the interesting things here is, is, is can we... How do we create the cooperation or collaboration between different parts of the industry to really benefit the biodiversity we're seeing on farm? 
if you look at the what we've done on this podcast today is that we've brought together um somebody with a real knowledge and 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 scientific credibility and ex expertise and simon um we brought somebody together in trinity ag tech with a, with a practical tool set that can help farmers navigate biodiversity and you as mole valley farmers have had the insights and, and the creativity to to recognize that pulling us together with yourselves on this podcast um it's it's going to increase the value of the message and also the practical on farm options that farmers can take to improve biodiversity and and therefore the health of their farming business so i think it's enlightened of you to to pull us all together and to and to recognize that it isn't just a message that one organization's uh, responsible for getting through or actually can can achieve on its own and together we can achieve more yeah and, and i think um increasingly within our business we talk about a power of a mole and and one of the powers of the mole is in bringing people together and and, and really putting the bringing the, the environmental aspects of farming to the fore to support our farmer shareholders get to 2030 um we can understand what's going on in the world we can see what consumers want we can see what the government wants and it's being able to bring bring the people with the real knowledge which Simon has around these pieces into areas where traditionally we haven't been listening maybe as well as we could have done. And if we can listen better and if we can learn more from people like Simon, then then hopefully um, it really enables farming to, to, to deliver to all the stakeholders that are involved in the land. Thanks for listening today. We really value you choosing to listen to our podcast. And if you haven't already, then please hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this today. Until next time, I'll speak to you soon.